Welcome to The Lex Factor, a lawfully good podcast where we'll brief you on the business of law so you can build a better practice and capture more billable hours. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Lex Factor. It's your host, Lauren, here. And your co-host, Brad. Oh, my gosh. Did I mess up my name? Yeah. It, Brad? Brad? Brad. Brad. I wanted Came to put some <laughs> emphasis on the rad part of the Brad is yeah. what it was. Our co-host, B-Rad. B-Rad. That's B-Rad. right. I should. That should be my new my new tagline. So are we here with Dave today or should we go with Dave? <laughs> no, let's go with Dave <laughs> or, or Dave. Dave. Dave, which do you prefer? Uh, we'll just go with Dave. Dave, oh. yeah. That makes Traditionalist. Sense. Traditionalist. The traditional one. Yes. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> no, so yeah, we're here with Dave Chris- Dave Christensen today. Excuse me, I'm, Brad messed me up. <laughs> um, he's with Cantor Colburn. So welcome, Dave. Welcome. Thank you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself before we get started? Sure. So uh, I'm an attorney at law firm Cantor Colburn. I chair our mechanical engineering and additive manufacturing groups. Uh, we do mostly intellectual property. Um, and uh, I, I'm mostly involved with working with inventors and creators and helping them protect the, you know, their ideas and, and keeping people from copying them. Um, other outside of this, uh, I'm, I'm very active in the American Bar Association's Law Practice Magazine editorial board. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, you know, gets allows me to interact with a lot of different authors from around the country. Wow. Awesome. That has to be interesting. Just, uh, I know, obviously, you can't talk about it, but, you know, all of the different invent, you know, inventions coming in, telling you about it. I'm sure oh, they're yeah. excited when they come in and they're like, it's this great thing. It can do this, this, and this, and this. I'm sure you have some stories there. It's, uh, well, you run into some very interesting people. <laughs> I bet, um, yeah. All kinds of creativity. Um, it's funny. Many of the, we, we end up working with a lot of corporations and a lot of the things we end up helping them patent are buried very far inside an engine somewhere that you would never see. Oh. So when you, do get, when you do get to work with somebody who, um, you know, who has a, a product that you could sell, like I had a client who was on Shark Tank. Oh, which, yeah. was, which was very, which was very interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, and, or, you know, uh, you know, if you have a, a client who's making something that picks up rocks on the moon. Wow. Oh. That's kind of a, it's kind of a, it's kind of That's an interesting. That's kind of cool. Yeah. You right. probably learn a lot of really random knowledge yeah. too. I ha- Did they drop your name at Shark Tank? <laughs> they did not. What? Did not. No. I was very disappointed. The yes. advertising yeah. potential there. Oh, Here's, but here's the one interesting thing I learned about Shark Tank is that if you um, if you go on their show, even if they don't fund you, every time they re-air that episode, oh, God, like yeah. you sell out a product. It's I'm like sure. free advertising. Yeah. So so now I, I I understand why people go through the the grueling process of being on it because it yeah. it is really good regardless of whether you get funding from. Oh, yeah, because there's so many people out there. Even if you don't get money, you're like, that's a cool idea. My mom bought us one year. God, it was probably years ago when Shark Tank was pretty new. But those those scrub daddies, like the oh, yeah. sponges that mm-hmm. were round and mm-hmm. looked like smiley faces. Right. She bought like 8,000 of those for us. We kept getting them. We're like, Mom, we're good. Please stop but sending they were them. Cool. They, they were do cool. work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, I could see the buried in an engine somewhere, you know, one little yeah, piece, like not a that weird screw. screw. That's yeah, not your that's normal what I was screw, thinking. but a cool new screw. <laughs> yeah, new, yeah, a cool new screw. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, picking rocks up on the moon—that yeah. would be just crazy. I just there's so many ideas out there. There has to be billions of patents, and just you know, just so interesting. It was probably Jeff because he just went to space. We're on he, a first name basis. He probably worked with you and Jeff, Dave. <laughs> 
to get some sort of machine that would pick up the rocks for when he went to space. They didn't make it to the moon. They yeah. only well, little gravity time, right though, above Earth there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, clearly we get a little sidetracked here. Um, but Dave, so we actually came across, we found out about you because we were reading an article in the Law Practice magazine um, accepting credit cards to approve accounts receivable. And um, we read it and we were like, Yes. We got to have this guy. I know. We got to have this guy. He knows what he's talking about. He's right on it. Can you kick us off just a little bit about your article and then we can chime in with some questions? Sure. Um, So, you know, my my day job is to obviously represent clients, but part of that is getting paid. Um, Prior to, I've been here for, I've been here for 15 years, but, you know, prior to that, I worked for corporations and, you know, the whole getting paid part of the job never was really an issue. We had, you know, I worked for very large Fortune 500 companies. They had whole departments that took care of that. Uh-huh. Right. And my clients didn't actually pay me, right? So my clients were the company itself. Um, when, you, when you're in private practice, obviously that's a little different. And, and accounts receivable is always an issue for just about every law firm, mm-hmm. right? One, most lawyers don't like dealing with it. Um, our, our, our services are expensive. So, uh, you know, the, the, the old adage I was told originally was make sure you get a really good retainer because that may be the last money you ever see. <laughs> And I, I, I'm like, I'm like, nah. That, that, what do you? That, that can't what be true. What are you true. talking and about? Unfortunately, yeah. it can be. Um, so, so in when you're in a practice like ours, which stretches over years, right? So, you, mm-hmm. if you if you were to go through a patent, a to file a patent application to get to grant, could be three or as much as eight years. Oh my gosh! Yeah. And there's things that happen along the line, so that so along the way, so you're always. You know, you're always performing services, so you want to make sure that you know you don't have clients that are getting too far behind because uh, it's it's depending on choices they make, they can very easily rack up a lot of a lot of expenses. <laughs> Particularly if for things if they decide they need to protect things outside the United States, and there we're kind of acting like a bank because we're paying foreign counsel to do things oh. before we even get paid. So you always have to, accounts receivable is obviously something that you always have to manage. Um, and I kind of became involved with credit cards because early on my move to private practice, I had a client who was starting to fall behind and they wanted to pay with credit cards. And I kind of approached our CFO and I approached our managing partners and I said, you know, can we do this? And I got a really weird mixed result of <laughs> responses. Um, and again, because we do a lot of work for corporations, corporations generally do not pay with credit cards, right? Their corporations. Right. You know, the, the responses were, we don't want to pay the fees. I'm like, okay, that's kind of fair to some responses that I would almost call paternalistic that, oh, we don't want to put our problems on the bank. Mm-hmm. My response was, I don't care about the bank. That's their problem. <laughs> They're the one who extended the credit line. Um, and to, you know, we don't want our clients getting in, in, you know, again, in trouble with their bank or getting themselves too far behind. You know, eventually we kind of worked it out. But even, even today, we will not accept uh, credit cards for retainers because there's some philosophy that if they don't have the cash for the retainer, then they probably, they might be a problem payer in the future. Mm-hmm. Not sure I agree with that or not. But because of that, it was interesting that I started talking with, Again, through my through the work that I do with the American Bar Association, I get kind of exposed to people on a lot of different practices, right? And you know, ours is somewhat that's not somewhat niche; it is very niche. And you know, if you but if you talk to people who are in, uh, say, family law or, or or another type of more more general practice, 
um, you still get a mixed, mixed set of results of when you ask them about credit cards. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that the what I will refer to them, and I'm, I'm I'm now getting to be of that age that I can say younger <laughs> managing partners of you know firms um, are a little more receptive to it. And now mm-hmm. you know the one one of, actually it was one of my authors. I was just talking with her one time, and she has a family pro, law practice in Arizona. She actually it's a fairly good size. I mean, she has like 15 attorneys who work for her, mm-hmm. and she has it set up so that you know her clients pay a, a retainer. I think it's like a thousand dollars but she bills them monthly directly to their credit card. And then the la- when, the, when, the, when the matter is complete, you know, they, they, the last bill is resolved with the uh, retainer and anything is returned. Mm-hmm. So for her, it, it, creates some, it creates some form of stability because she's not trying to do collections. The collections happen automatically. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I thought that was a, I thought that was a really that great a good system. point, yeah. I can see, I see both sides, you know, definitely the legal industry as a whole, we know is a little archaic when it comes to adopting technology and new practices. And I think you made a good point, you know, do you want to accept retainer via credit card? Because if they're having to use a credit card, what are the chances that they're going to pay you in full or pay you in all at all down the line? But on the flip side, um, there's studies out there that do say if you accept credit cards, you generally get paid quicker and mm-hmm. you get paid more in full. So um, maybe there's a balancing act there, too. You know? I think so. You know, it, a lot is put on credit cards now. Yes. I mean, uh, it's like rare. This, this that wedding you're... I got coming up, that's where the rest of it's going. <laughs> Which, are you really committed to the wedding? I don't know. Is you know, John it's, worth Have it? you paid <laughs> it all off yet? Is it... <laughs> I think you should ask for a retainer from Play him. this after the <laughs> oh, wedding. <okay. laughs> no, those are all good points, though. You know, it's it's something. Did you finally persuade them in a specific direction? Uh, on a very limited case-by-case basis, at least internally here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think part of the issue we have here is that it's just not something that comes up enough yeah. for people to become comfortable with it. Whereas if you've got a family law practice, you probably have a higher volume of clients who, you know, particularly if you set it up the way we talked about, you just get used to doing it. Whereas here, we're not, we're not really used to doing it. And I feel like the geographic area that you're in, you probably have more well-off clients, um, not even necessarily just clients, just the population in the area in general. So it's probably less common. So it's not as big of a deal. Yeah. Um, so I thought this was interesting, too, because obviously I know what payment processors are because we here at Lexicon, we we provide practice management software and we accept credit card payments through our software. But I thought it was interesting that you called out in your article that there's a lot of um, people out there who think you just, hey, let me contact MasterCard. Let me contact Visa, whoever these credit card providers are when you're ready to start taking those online payments. But that's not the case. There's always going to be that middleman. Correct. That was actually one of the biggest things that I learned when I was when I was researching that part of the article was was that um, there are a lot of layers between between you as the customer and the person who is you're buying products from, mm-hmm. um, and and the the merchant, which in our case would be the law firm, right? Is the or the you know if you're if you're doing it personally, it would be the store. They can't contact MasterCard directly. No one actually contacts MasterCard, what are called the card types. So Mm -hmm. MasterCard, Visa, Discover, American Express. They don't interact with end users. They go through actually several layers of middlemen, which are in the the one that you would, most people would deal with is called the um, independent sales operator or ISO. Mm -hmm. And that's the person, that's the company that gives the store the, the credit card machine. 
Gotcha. They also, um, they, you know, so they, they're the one who processes the initial part of the transaction. It then goes up through this chain to MasterCard, back down to the bank. The bank verifies it. MasterCard sends an authentication code back down to the store. And all this happens within, you know, the time while you're checking out, oh, wow. right, at mm-hmm. the store. Mm-hmm. So all, and this happens on every single transaction. So there's this huge um, industry of just taking care of reconciling um, all of these transactions. I had no idea Um, that much went into it. And it's like a split, not a split second, but you know, you're checking out at the store, buy something, swipe your card, all that happens Mm -hmm. before you get your receipt. Well, nowadays it's even tap, you know, and it's proved. Yes, Mr. Tech Man, I know. (laughs) Brad's our CIO. He's all about the technology. You're getting him excited right now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the um, I, I was I was interested. Even like you know, if you think about really big buyers, like somebody like a Home Depot or a Walmart, even they have an ISO that they mm-hmm. process all their. It's probably a really big ISO, yeah. But it's an ISO that they that they process their payments through. And there are a couple other layers, and that kind of gets down into the weeds of how they, you know, transfer money from from one bank to the other. But um, but yeah, there are a number of layers. Yeah. There's uh speaking of the number of layers, there there is sometimes there's upwards of three to four oh, wow. different companies that it passes through before it actually gets to the bank and gets Hence to the company. The yeah, fees. yeah. And oh. actually, in my past, I used to be an auditor for Walmart and took care of oh, all their gosh, finances. Oh really? Yeah. That sounds odd, right? Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that sounds yeah. like fun. Yeah. yeah. The 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 well, the other thing I found interesting is that the. Um, the ISO, the, the lowest level on that layer, they're the ones who take the risk. Mm-hmm. So if the charge is fraudulent, if you know if somebody if somebody um, returns something and there's credit, that all that all falls on the ISO. Mm-hmm. So they, they have to be very careful in who they have, uh, have for clients because if they have a client who is going to have a lot of fraudulent charges on them, they're going to they're the ones who are going to. Um, accept that risk. And that's part of, you know, one thing we'll probably end up talking about because this always comes up with credit cards is fees. And the fees that the, the ISOs charge has a lot to do with that risk level that they're, that they, they, um, they anticipate with you as a client. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And you have to really shop around there. There are different fees for different ISOs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what all, Dave, you actually obviously did a ton of research going into this. What do you look for when you're looking for an ISO? How do you even find them? What do you need to consider? What's most important out of those considerations? Sure. So there's, 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 there are many ISOs and I'm not, the ISO that you choose is probably dependent on the industry that you're in. Okay. Um, there are, you know, what I will call, if you're, if, you know, when you're speaking within terms of law firms, you know, you could certainly, all law firms, or almost I would expect all law firms, have very good relationships with their banks. Mm-hmm. And they're the traditional, most banks, most large banks have uh, some programs for generating, you know, for providing credit card services for their for their corporate clients or their their business clients. Um, however, there if you were to go, you can actually go to Visa and MasterCard, you can look up the fees. And there are over 500 fees that can be associated with any given transaction. Oh, wow. <laughs> ranging from 1.5% to maybe as high as 5%. And how those fees get 
charged depends on how you how the transaction, in some cases at least, how the transaction occurs. So unless you're somebody who has a, a customer coming in and swiping their card through a, you know, through the 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 the, the PCI terminal itself, mm-hmm. you um you will probably never see a one and a half percent fee, even though that's what it will be touted to you when you when you sign up. If you if you know if somebody has to type in the number, it becomes a it's a there's a fee mm-hmm. added. Mm-hmm. If if you know if you're supposed to be using the PCI, but you 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 again, I'm going to date myself, but you have to use <laughs> the number cruncher and you cr- you crunch the card to, to get a carbon copy you know receipt. Um, you know that's you get different charge. Yeah. So there there are. There are, like I said, there are up to 500 different fees that can be charged depending on how the transaction goes. And much like your cell phone bill, very few people want to go through that <laughs> and figure out what each of the charges are. And because they're, they're, each one of them is really small, but when you look at them as a whole, they they can be add up. Yeah. I was actually, um, you said something that triggered a memory. I was looking at a square reader for my dad. And he, um, it was interesting when I was reading about it online and I was like, huh, they charge a different percentage processing Mm -hmm. fee for if you swipe the card versus you type in the card number. I thought that was interesting. There's so many different things that go into it. Yeah. Huh. And, and that actually gets into it, we we're talking about the different layers. So, uh, so like the Square card, um, I'm not positive about Square, but they are probably what's known as a gateway, mm-hmm. uh, which is actually kind of on level with an ISO. So you can have a gateway, which which you with gateways you never have what are called PCI terminals. Uh, the old fashioned, I'll call them the older the older technology is these things called PCI terminals, where you stick your card in and all the work gets done in that black box, right? It does the communicating, it receives the codes, and it tells everybody everything's okay. Hmm. A gateway uses a computer to do that. And from a security standpoint, the gateway is a far superior way to do transactions because those PCI boxes are out of date the following month after they're installed. They never get updated, Hmm. right? Because there's there's no way to update the software in those PCI boxes. Gateways are continuously updated. Uh, and I was talking with one ISO and he said, you know, we're smart, but the thieves are always smarter. <laughs> so they're always updating. They're yeah, always, always. I actually, I was on the phone with Hulu on my drive here because someone hacked my account and added all these devices and I couldn't get them removed. I couldn't change my it, password. It was me. It was Brad. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> they're all, it happens all, all the, the time. time. It really does. I mean, this is what these people do for a living. They're right. dedicated to oh, it. Oh yeah. And I do, I do agree with you completely. The gateway is the more secure route to go. It's, I knew you wanted to say something. What? It's like so, security he was technology. right on. I mean, the guest knows what he's talking about here. <laughs> he Dave. did his research. Yeah. So it, it is true. And I think, you know, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but from an ISO perspective, I think you should feel comfortable asking any question that you comes to mind to them because you just don't know. Do they process on weekends? What kind of fees do they charge? Do they actually house the information about your client there? Are they PCI compliant? Um, all of these things are so important that you ask and find out all the details about your ISO yeah. just because you don't know. And it is a step that you have to go through to get to that final result. So you want to make sure you're partnering also with a good company, just that they want to partner with you as well. So yeah. make sure to ask every possible question. Really, 
no dumb question. He How ask do you anything. know what to ask, though? Um, well, I, <laughs> I think, I think, you know, just go through it and think about everything that would be, I, I guess, do some research yeah, and yeah, then, yeah. and then go through and ask, but there's, you can probably find something yeah. on the internet. Dave, what do you think? There, there are consultants that will help you with that. Okay. Um, I've talked to a couple that will, they'll, what they'll actually do is they'll audit what your existing, um, service is doing and kind of give you some of that information. One thing is that law firms and attorneys are really different than almost everybody else in the world because of the regulatory environment that we work in. You know, I think everybody takes credit cards, accountants, other professionals, accountants, doctors, but they don't have some of the requirements that law firms have. And that was actually one of the reasons why I wrote the article is that um, you, when, you've, when you're accepting payments through a credit card, law firms are required to have trust accounts mm-hmm. and operating accounts. And people have gotten into trouble because they because their local bank, who's used to dealing with hardware stores, um, would maybe subtract the fees out of their trust account, mm. which you can't do. Um, so having a having a an ISO or, or gateway who's used to dealing with law firms is 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 can be very beneficial. Huh. Right. If, if for nothing else, for peace of mind, because you can get you can yeah. get in a lot of trouble for that. Yeah. Um, and and if you think about the the volume, the dollar volume of, of fees that could go through credit cards, if that's your primary way of like the attorney we we're talking about before, where, where she just billed them on a monthly basis to their credit card, that all that money has to go into the trust account first. And there can't be fees subtracted out of it. Right. So that's that's a that's from an from an uh, from a law firm and an attorney standpoint. That's probably the biggest question to ask. I bet most banks would look at you kind of funny when you said that. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't yeah. even thought have thought yeah. about it. And Dave, you made a good point earlier too. You talked about um, sometimes your cases will take three years. You know, I can't remember the exact time frame, but it was years. Um, and you know, you said at the end of that, there may be refund that comes back or even other attorneys or firms have that refund. Another question to ask your ISO is how do they handle refunds? Because some ISOs will only refund back to a credit card in a certain period of time, say 90 days, 60 days, 180 days. And if it takes years, you're not going to refund from that initial, Mm -hmm. maybe for a year and a half. And so if you can't refund back, what are your options then? Do you write them a check? Do you do something? It seems weird, but yeah. it's it's very important. You know, you go to your store and they just put it back on your credit card, which is what you think when you're going to somewhere else. Yeah. So that's another question that yeah. I think would be good to ask. Yeah, that, that was that's actually a good point because one of the one of the um, ISOs I talked to who did do a lot of work with law firms actually ran into that problem where the firm closed. Oh, and they had accepted their retainers via credit card. And they, it, it took quite a while to, to work out how to do the refund because that money wasn't the firm's yeah. it, and it wasn't the ISO's. It, it still belonged to the clients. So mm-hmm. that, that is a, that's a great point. Huh. Well, this could be a, a fun rabbit hole to get down. <laughs> what, what other risks are out there? You know, I think it's 2021. Everybody just assumes credit cards are, are normal. They're the go-to. Um, but it sounds like, especially in the legal industry, there's a lot to consider when firms are looking to adopt credit card processing. So what other consideration risks, um, worrisome factors are there that you can think of off the top of your head? Sure. So, you know, we already talked about one, and that's mm-hmm. using a gateway versus a P- uh, PCI terminal. I think for most law firms, uh, I shouldn't say that. 
most many law firms, a PCI terminal wouldn't make any sense because your clients probably aren't coming into your office, particularly over the past year. Right. Sure. So a gateway is certainly gateways, certainly more secure. You know, the other, the other thing is that, you know, credit cards are not unlike any other financial accounting process. There needs to be some governance. There needs to be checks and balances to make sure that it's being used properly uh, internally. Uh, again, one of the, 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 one of the ISOs I talked with had a situation where the, it was a firm with two managing partners both of them had full access to the to the service uh, to the account, so either one of them could make changes to the account. And they ran into a situation where one of the one of the managing partners went on vacation for a month to mm. Europe. The other managing partner called up the ISO, changed the banking account to his personal banking account. <gasps> no, it wasn't detected for like two months. Oh God! And by that time, million, literally millions of dollars. And again, going back to trust accounts versus operating accounts, all that money should have gone into a trust account, mm-hmm. and it went into his personal account. Oh. So Ooh. that that that's that. So from a recommendation <laughs> standpoint, uh, two yes. signatures. If you've if you if, you know unless you know or some type of, of situation to prevent a single Checks person balances, from from, yeah. from modifying that kind of that's uh, a great story and a great that uh, was a good one warning like, Let's go down for others way, yeah. out there. I mean, you don't think of that at the beginning, but it's so important. Yeah, that's Are great. Banks able to question that if they're like, hey, you know, I'm updating it. This looks like it's your personal bank account, or do they just type in the number and go with it? I, yeah, I don't think the banks actually even see that because it flows mm-hmm. through the ISO mm-hmm. and it right. go, and then it go and the, the receiving bank they don't they're receiving money they don't they're probably yeah, they not gonna, yeah. they're not gonna, <laughs> huh. they're not going to check on that. Interesting. Yeah, you know the other you know some of the other risks are you, you obviously whoever it is who has access to either your gateway software or your PCI terminal it needs to be somebody that you trust. Uh, because, uh, and I am not the security, it, we started going, some of the people I talked to got into some very technical things about how the fraud works, and uh, I'm a mechanical engineer, so this, this <laughs> some not, of the, the electronic yeah. fraud that occurs <laughs> kind of went over my head a little, but, uh, the, you know, there's ways of voiding transactions, but then skimming the money and sending it somewhere else. Um, God. It sounds like check kiting to me, which I also don't understand. But uh, <laughs> I just know that it's—I just know it's bad. Well, it changes every uh, day. I mean, yeah. this technology—it's crazy. Right. You know. So from from that standpoint, you do need to you do need to make sure that the people that you have you don't give everyone in your firm access to your to your gateway. Mm-hmm. You know, limit it to a few number of few people, which is actually what we do here. We have mm-hmm. a single person who who uses it. So if there's anything that looks amiss, we know we know who we can talk to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I just, you made me think of one other question. Depending upon your ISO, a good question to to ask is how they authenticate because some ISOs run the credit card for like a penny or a dollar. Mm -hmm. Some gas stations do that too. Like when you go to fill up, they'll run a dollar transaction first and then cancel it out and then 
run your gas. Some ISOs will do that uh, based upon their level of risk. They'll how they authenticate is they run it first for like a penny or something like that. But then it shows up on your statements sometimes and it confuses yeah. customers. So just ask how they authenticate to make sure the card is real, I think is uh, another good I question. I always wondered why they did that. Yeah, gas stations do that a lot. Yeah, they, they want to make sure that they're not going to give you the gas and then it would be fraudulent, like not a real card or something. Yeah. Right. And, and, and the ISO is, one's, is, like, is the one that's going to do that because – and like we talked about before, they're the one that are they have all the risk associated yeah. with transactions. So it's in their it's in their interest to make sure that the authentication is is at a level they're comfortable with. Yeah. Right. So any other Dave, any other best practices to kind of help avoid some of these risks that you just mentioned? Um, no, I, I you know I guess the the probably the the best thing is to you know certainly think through the processes mm-hmm. and who is going to have a- access to it because one of the 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 ISO does have risk if there is fraud. However, if the fraud occurs within the firm, and that does happen from time to time, um, if it occurs within the firm, the firm actually is responsible for it. So. Mm-hmm. Thinking through your processes, making sure that you've got secure equipment, it's updated regularly, and that you're, you have checks and balances. And it should be a process that everyone could use. Yeah. That actually, Brad, Brad being the techie guy here, we talk a lot about security, cybersecurity, bad actors. Is there anything outside of the actual payment processor that you're using that can help enhance the security at your firm overall, whether it's, you know, payment related or not? Like, how does that all play together? Well, I think <laughs> I, I'm like ready to jump on the security Do questions. Go, Whoa, go, go. this is fantastic. No, uh, Dave actually hit on it. It's so important that you have a holistic security plan. Yeah. So it's updating your PCs because the gateway runs on those Through, PCs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make sure your browsers are updated, all of those things. And he's absolutely right. You should uh, limit the access to only those that need it. so important to always go with mm-hmm. that level of access that only those that need it. And then, of course, just from an internet perspective, you want to make sure you have the practices in place, especially with the pandemic, uh, that people aren't taking these credit cards maybe from home or Mm. other areas because that opens you up to new uh, risks that are out there, right? Because your work network may be secure, but then your home may not be. So it just depends on on those different criteria. It's, It's so important to have that holistic plan. Yeah. I don't know how anybody keeps up with all this. I feel like it's it changes crazy every world. day. And these bad actors, they're on it. Like I know. every day, it's something new. It's crazy. It's their job. Yeah, that's true. They're doing a great job, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. Um, all right, Dave. So, do we miss anything? Do we cover everything major in your article? Is there anything else you want to touch on? No, I think we've covered just about everything. The only other point I was going to make is when you're dealing with your ISOs and, and you're asking, you might want to ask them how they're getting paid as well, because a lot of ISOs get paid on commission. So all oh. those 500 fees that we, we talked about, they, they're not really incentivized to tell you about them because that's yeah. kind of what they're, what they're, they're trying to make uh, a deal. That's how they, that's how they, that's how they get paid. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in terms of things that you ask your ISO, how do they get paid? How the fees work? That's probably the one of the things we didn't touch on, but uh, is really important. That's a great point. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I didn't know, Dave, is that, uh, and I just recently found this out as well, is sometimes asking that question, so important. 
And then that opens up to negotiate those fees that you get charged too. I didn't know oh, I didn't know you, you could negotiate. negotiate. I thought oh. it was this is the fee, this is the fee, period. That's what I thought too. But yeah. uh, no, it depends on how much money you push through that particular ISO. Mm. If it's millions, then they're you know they're, give you a cut probably. they're yeah, open yeah. to negotiations. Huh. Interesting. Learn something new every day. Mm -hmm. Dave, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was a pleasure. Lots of very good information. It's crazy because, you know, like I said earlier, it's 2021. Credit cards are so common, but there's still so much that I learned Mm -hmm. in just this past, you know, 20, 30 minutes. It was so nice to talk to you, Dave. It was great talking to both of you. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of The Lex Factor. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in to The Lex Factor. Lexicon takes care of business so you can take care of law. Learn how to build a better practice at lexiconservices.com.